good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 8. Will you stand and we'll sing it together. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic
God in three persons, blessed Trinity. be seated. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you have called us out of our sin and wandering, out of our searching, into your covenant family, to be your people and to worship you. And so we come and worship this morning as we always do through the, the self-giving and the gracious invitation of your son, Jesus. Lord, our hearts sing with David's words this morning that the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Lord, those of us here this morning that hear these words, uh, hear these words in shadow, that feel the ache and the pull of temptation, of the turn of the heart towards the things that seem like life and goodness, but find emptiness and grief. Lord, meet us, meet us there with your radiant and revealing words of life. Father, grant us strength and courage to move towards your light, to repent and travel even the difficult paths of reconciliation, to, to love our neighbors and even to love our enemies. And so, Father, we ask that, that by your spirit that you would make yourself known to us this morning. Come to the, those of us who feel really near and those of us who feel really far from you. 
Father, meet all of us and show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Well, we turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time where we do acknowledge with God our sin and our need of him. And we'll do this together as a church and then have a time of personal quiet confession. Holy and triune God, you alone live in perfect relationship, one God and three persons, mutual and loving, ever seeking reconciliation and unity. You call us to bear your image, yet we are a people marked with division. We confess that we are selfish and greedy. We are anxious and resenting. We feel the shame of our foolish behavior and brokenness. We have allowed sin to drive us apart from one another and from you. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Oh, I will remember them, and burdened is my soul.
Father, we confess our sin. We know our guilt, our shame, even our regret. And may your grace that is uh, eager to welcome us home, that is eager to forgive, may it lead us into repentance and into life. Father, we are thankful that you do this work not for anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We give thanks in his name. Amen. We'll stand now to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 62. Let's join together. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. As we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
Please be seated. The Old Testament lesson today is from Isaiah 52, 7 to 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. They sing together for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Bring forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The New Testament lesson is Philippians 1, 3 through 18. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my every prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers of me, with me of grace, for both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledgement and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak out the word with, without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy, and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. It's good to be with you. Um, my family and I, we were in Ohio last weekend visiting uh, my parents, but I'm glad to be back worshiping uh, with you all. And you'll see a note in your order um, that we are beginning a, a summer sermon series uh, called the New Testament Words of Life. And uh, we're going to use uh, a book called the 15, 15 New Testament Words of Life as a guide. And that book is a kind of a survey of the New Testament, finding a, a word or a key passage from each New Testament book. And so each, each Sunday of the summer, we'll look at one of those different words. And um, when I was uh, away last uh, Sunday, the church that we worshipped at had uh, stained glass windows, a series of stained glass on both sides of the, of the building. I really like stained glass. I think it's you know fascinating and beautiful. Um, but I, I thought about it in terms of even thinking about this sermon series that each of these words or kind of key words or passages that we'll see not only gives a, a kind of a survey of the New Testament, but it's like one of those pieces of uh, stained glass, red or blue or yellow. And it's like today we'll look at the word gospel. But as we look at these series of words over the weeks ahead, it's like putting the different colors together 
informing a picture, a picture of Christ and, and the depth and the complexity of the work that he has done for us, this life that he brings to us. And so it takes a variety of words and a variety of passages to help us to grasp the depth of what God has done. So that's my hope that we'll experience today. We're looking at uh, the gospel of, of Mark, and in particular looking at this word gospel. And so we're going to read Mark 1, 1 through 11. And this is a chance for us to think about, again, the life that God gives us in Christ. So I encourage you to follow along in your order or your Bible. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is God's word given for our good. Well, the gospel of Mark most scholars believe that the author of this gospel is a, a person identified in the book of Acts as John, who's also called Mark. John, who's also called Mark. Don't know if it was a nickname or just a way for him to be distinguished from his father or someone else. But along with the book of Acts, there's four, four of Paul's letters and also mention Mark. That he was an assistant to Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journeys. That we know that he was with Paul when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and it's understood that it was the Apostle Peter who gave him the information to have the firsthand knowledge of Jesus to, in order to write this gospel. But that said, Mark from the opening verse makes clear that his purpose in writing is not to speak about himself, it's not to tell about his ministry or what he's going to do or has done but rather his purpose is to tell you the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. He opens the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And to help us think about our passage and to unpack this word gospel, I, I want to ask two questions today. The first question is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And the second question, where is the gospel proclaimed? Where is this gospel proclaimed? So let's start with this first question, what is the gospel? And I, I kind of want to build that, the answer to that over a, a few notes. And so the first thing is the gospel is an announcement. The gospel is an announcement. The, the Greek word for gospel simply means glad tidings or good news. 
Maybe we can think about in your workplace or at, at home or at school, you know, the time where you might have said, hey, listen, I have, I have good news. Or did you hear the good news? And it could be something like you know, a day off, a pay raise, a field trip, no final exams, a successful project, something that's been completed. See, the gospel is not inherently a religious term. In the, the Roman context, the Greek context, the news could be about a variety of topics. So when the first Christians heard gospel, it wasn't a religious, like, technical term. Rather, it was an announcement of an event that would positively impact one's life. It was an announcement of an event that could impact the world. In the Roman context, the gospel brought to mind political announcements. The gospel was used, that word was used to describe the emperor and the empire. Hear the good news. The gospel of Rome and its power will bring you peace. In fact, there's an ancient public plaque that has been discovered in which the year that Caesar Augustus was born is described as the beginning of good news. And so I think it's interesting, you know, now Mark uses this same phrase. Less than a century later, he introduces Jesus in the same way, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news, beginning of something that changes things for you and for the world. So if you ask what is the gospel, first it's an announcement. But the second thing that's helpful us, for us to understand is it's an announcement rooted in action. It's not just an abstract idea, but it's rooted in an event that is accomplished. Something that has happened that positively impacts you in this world. As I was trying to think through that idea, that there's an image that came to my mind. I, I've shared it before in the past, but this image of, of a stream of water. We can maybe picture a landscape where there's a, a flow of water cutting through. And in that picture of that stream, we can then imagine this rock, not just you know, a small pebble that you can kind of toss, but something substantial, a rock that falls into the stream. And from that moment on, forever, the, the, the direction of the waters has been changed. From that moment on, the rock entering into the waters forever alters the flow, even changing the landscape because of it. The gospel is this announcement of an action, such a rock that comes and changes whatever it encounters. And it's in light of that, it makes sense, though, that, that Mark's gospel is what we could describe as action-oriented. Action-oriented. There's little extended teaching. Jesus is on the move healing and casting out demons, confronting opponents, calling the disciples to join him. He is the constant initiator of action, the subject of the narrative's verbs. And all these actions begin with a promise that we see in our passage a promise spoken by the prophet Isaiah, behold, prepare, I send my messenger, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
And Mark then connects this promise to an historic event, something that has been accomplished. He says that John appeared. He calls and baptizes in the wilderness. He proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he proclaims that I baptize you with water, but one will come after me who's mightier than I, who will baptize you with the Spirit. And so we, again, we can ask, what is this gospel? It's an announcement. It's an announcement about actions. And the third thing, though, is bringing it together is that it is an announcement of God's actions in the person of Jesus. He is this greater one. He is the anointed son of God who comes with the spirit to renew all things. So if it's true that the gospel is an announcement of an action in the person of Jesus, then I think it's worth us seeing what is the first action that is recorded. We're told that Jesus is baptized. That Jesus is baptized. And the other gospels, John expresses confusion by this. Why would I do that? And it, we remember that John's baptism was for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And the question is, you know, did Jesus need to be purified? Did he need to repent? And the answer is no, that Jesus is not baptized because he is in need of purification. Jesus is baptized in order to identify with you and me. And so here's where we ask this question, what is the gospel, where it becomes very personal for you and for me. It's not just an announcement, not just an act, not just an action of Christ. But in the baptism, we see that his actions are to identify with you and with me. He goes into the waters of repentance. He goes into the waters that are for those who need forgiveness of sin. He does that to identify, to join with you, that you may join with him. You see, Jesus enters the waters, and when he went under the waters, he was going into our sin, into our death. And when he rises out of the waters and is proclaimed by God's voice in the spirit that he is the anointed one, it is a foreshadowing of his resurrection. That not only does he identify with our death and sin, but he rises to bring new life in the midst of them. One of the things that's interesting about Jesus' baptism here is that it has all the components that you find in the opening of Genesis 1. There's the spirit, there's God's voice, there is this hovering with water. See, in Genesis, we're told in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and the earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God hovered over it like the bird over the waters. And God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And the gospel announcement, this announcement of an action of God in Christ for you and me is similar to this creation of heaven and earth. This is what I hope that we can see here, that this announcement of someone is involved, who was involved in creation and who is now involved in new creation, it is at the level of the creation of heaven and earth. That is what the gospel is announcing. He brings new life by joining with his people. 
entering into the waters of repentance to bring us new life, a new story, and new hope. I mentioned that rock and the stream. So you can picture again the flow of the water forever being changed, the, the path forever altering. That rock of the gospel of Christ now tells us that a different story. Now there is a new family. And in Christ, we can be adopted into it. The rock says that there is a new type of acceptance, not based on what you have done or what you can produce, but based on the grace of God for you. The rock says that there is a new kingdom, a kingdom that is very different from this world and its divisions and its violence. And that rock tells us that there is a new hope, something that goes beyond you and your resources. So what is the gospel? It is the proclamation of what God has done for you in Christ. And it depends not on you or me, but it depends on the perseverance and love of God. So that's the first question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? The second one, though, I want us to ask with our time is where is this gospel proclaimed? Where is it proclaimed? And one answer we could say if it's proclaimed everywhere, all throughout creation. But I want us to see specifically how the gospel of Mark introduces it. The beginning location, the beginning of the gospel, the place of the voice is in the wilderness. Mark's gospel starts with a voice crying out in the loneliness, in the empty and barren places. Something can also be translated the wastelands. A place that's marked not by what is there, but by what is absent. And it's in the wilderness that John appeared. And he calls the people to leave the busy streets, the full markets, the activities around the temple, to come out to the wilderness. And the wilderness was a literal place, a place that was empty of many things, right? And John literally stood in the wilderness at the river calling people to come. But the wilderness also has a symbolic meaning, not, not just here, but throughout the scriptures. It is the place apart from human control. It is a place apart from human confidence. It is a place, therefore, that scripture tells us where we might be especially aware of our limits, of our fear, of our uncertainty. And it's in that place that the gospel is proclaimed. That there is an action, an event that you did not do, that you do not hold up, that God has accomplished for you. It's in this way the image of the wilderness can speak to our experience of emptiness or lack of control or loneliness, not, not just out in the rural parts of the world, but even here in the city of millions. The experience of knowing our limits or beyond our control. A place where we feel that our resources are not enough or that we don't know what to do or that we feel in maybe painful ways that the sin of others or the consequences of our own failures. The wilderness is a place apart from human confidence apart from our work and our activities. 
And it's in such a place the gospel is announced. There's the voice crying in the wilderness. I lived in Arizona for a time when I was studying in college. And one of the great things about Arizona, there's lots of places to hike. You can go uh, you know, very quickly up this, some different mountains. And it's a beautiful place, but it's also a desert landscape. And that landscape and the heat suggests to, to be careful. The occasional scorpion, occasional snake upon the path, or just the heat reminding you that you need to be thoughtful about what time of day you go and go out and take a hike. Well, on those trips, though, there was a, a couple of times I remember seeing what's called the red torch cactus. The red torch cactus. And it is a cactus, you know, like, like any other. It's large and it has, it's kind of big and scary, th- you know, thorns. But it also has this stunning kind of reddish-orange flower that blooms on top of it. It's like asking this question, is it possible for life and beauty to be in such a climate, such a place? If you can picture such a thing, a, a cactus that we're wary to touch, or a landscape that reminds us that we're not in control, but that yet a flower blooming there that we're invited into one of the key ways that God talks about his steadfast love for his people. The ways that God talks about the gospel entering the wilderness. You see in Isaiah, especially in chapter 35, it's proclaimed, even the wilderness will rejoice. Even the desert will blossom with flowers. Yes, there'll be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy, The desert will become as green as the Lebanon mountains, as lovely as Mount Carmel's pastures, as Sharon's meadows. For in the wilderness, the Lord will display his glory and his excellence. For you and I to think about the gospel, it's not just an announcement, not just knowing what the announcement is, but it is knowing that it is proclaimed in the wilderness in the very place that we know of our limits and our lack of control. Isaiah goes on to say, with this good news, bring cheer to all discouraged ones. With this good news, encourage all who are afraid. Be strong and fear not, for your God is coming to you. In this prophetic vision, what what changes the desert? What changes the desert from a place of hostility to one blooming with flowers? It's the actions of God. It's a simple but profound answer. The actions of God. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. This is always how the good news starts. A cry, a proclamation that is heard in the places of emptiness, the places where we know that there has to be something more than our resources. And that's why we are told by John that the proper response to the gospel, proper response to the announcement of God's activity in Jesus in the wilderness, the proper response is to repent and to believe, to confess your sins to change the direction from seeking life in this world and my resources and my strength and to placing my hope in the God who brings life in places where there is none. 
It's important that we see the order of this. It's not that we repent and therefore God kind of catches his attention and then kind of comes towards us. But no, rather God has acted. God has gone into the very waters of our sin, God into the very wilderness of our inability. And it's in light of that gospel that we acknowledge our need. It's in light of the gospel that we bring our deepest need for forgiveness and life to the one who's come. Hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in Christ, because of his actions for you, you are accepted as his child. You are part of his family now and forever. You have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light because Christ went into the waters of sin for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for this good news, this announcement. We thank you that it does not rest on our shoulders, does not rest on our accomplishments, but it is a gift to us by you. Let us receive it this day. Let us receive this gift and let us walk in new ways in light of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Creator, we give you thanks for the abundance of your creation. Our Redeemer, we give you thanks for your birth, life, death, and resurrection. Our Sustainer, we give you thanks for the steadfast presence of your spirit surrounding us and filling us with life. It is good and right for us to join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Uh, it's been said that the sacraments, uh, communion and baptism, that these are visible words, that they're visible signs of the gospel. And so this is a chance for us to, to think again about what we just discussed, that the gospel is an announcement of God's actions for you in Christ. This table is a picture of that that God took those who are far off, those who were marked with sin, and God acts to bring us into his family to gather us around the family meal. And he does this action through the broken body and shed blood of Christ. That through Christ's broken body and shed blood, we who were marked with sin are now justified, declared right. We who were alone in our wandering are now brought together as part of God's family. And our place at the table from beginning to end is in Christ, not in what we have done or promised to do, but in Christ for us. This is the gospel, and the table allows it to, us to see it and to hold it and to taste it. If you are a follower of Christ and you know of your sin before God and have placed your hope not in yourself but in Christ, then come and eat and drink of this table. Be nourished by the Spirit. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be an invitation and a witness to who God is and to his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this bread and cup. And we pray that by your Spirit that you would meet us as we come. Lord, strengthen us. Prop up our faith that we may trust you and that in light of it that we may walk as people who love you with our whole being and love our neighbors as ourselves. 
We ask that your spirit would be at work in us, not only to strengthen us and comfort us, but to give us a new way to walk, to live as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down the center aisle to receive the bread and the cup, and you can go back on the sides. I asked if you're able to hold the elements that you'd hold them to everyone who's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, we're, we're glad that you're here. We, we invite you to still come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a prayer blessing for you here at the table. Let us now come and receive the gifts that God has given to his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand, that we can pray and sing as God's people together. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made known to us the loving kindness of God, and that we are saved not because of our righteous works, but according to his mercy. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. join together in praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue our worship through a time of giving, a chance to respond to God's generosity. So I want to fight for the, the greeters. There's a, a gray basket that you can uh, put your communion cup in and then a, a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift. Also, if you'd like to give, you can do so. You'll see a note in your order through the church's website or by text. Um, also, just want to take a moment to say welcome, especially if you're visiting today. We're really glad that you've joined us uh, I just started coming the last couple of weeks, so you know, glad that you've joined us for worship. A um, couple of notes that there is, um, oh, I forgot to say, sorry, I forgot something. There's these information pads under the uh, center aisle, I mean, the chair close to the center aisle. So if you pick that up and pass it down, that'd be great. You could see who you're worshiping with, and if you're, if you're visiting, it'd be great for you to share your information with us if you'd like to learn more about the church. But that's under the chair uh, closest to the center aisle, and you can fill it out, pass it down. Uh, that'd be great. Um, a couple other notes. We have a time of coffee and bagels after the service. Uh, to my right, right outside by the green turf field, uh, there will be tables set up there. I invite everyone to, to hang out after their ch church, a chance to get to know each other better. Uh, one other just announcement to mention is that starting next Sunday, June 11th, we are going to move our worship service into the cafeteria that's over there. Um, the school invited us, encouraged us to do that. It's, it's air conditioned in there. So we're going to give that a try and see how, how, it, how it goes. <laughs> so, um, so starting next week, um, we'll be in a different spot. Same building, different spot. But I'll, uh, depending on how the construction fences are, um, I'll send out something in the weekly email, kind of how to get in. Um, but you can always come in through the parking lot or the entrance that we came in today. Um, if you have questions about that, let me know. But hopefully you can stay after for some coffee and some bagels today. Let us continue worshiping by giving the, our gifts to God.
please stand and join us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. now God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. May go in peace.